Everybody coming to, everybody coming to the uh, potluck in a little bit. I was up late last night baking cupcakes, making the frosting, and uh, but I finished and I didn't have anything to put them in. The only thing I, I had this container that said Walmart on it, and uh, so I just I threw them in there. But I made them. Uh, I invite you to turn to John chapter one. I heard that a, a squirrel might have had a really, really rough morning in town. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for the sunshine, for your goodness. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for, uh, for Liz Yergler and I, I do pray that she be able to still have a, a strong sense of community and feel loved and appreciated. I pray for um, for the Nilsson family with Bob Nilsson going into hospice. Lord, and I pray for his wife and for your nearness to her and to him, Lord, in, in what is, I'm sure, a, a very difficult time. I pray for the Kaufman family on the loss of their barn this week, Lord, and just for the process of, um, of going forward and, and what they might do. Lord, I pray for Judy as she's continuing to go through this therapy with her leg, and I'm, I praise you that it sounds like that's going well, um, but I just, I pray for her. I pray that she be in good spirits. I pray for the therapy to continue to go well. Lord, I pray for our missionaries today who are with us, for Don and Delvina, and Lord, I thank you for the work that they're doing in Brazil to share your love and to spread your gospel, and I pray that you continue to bless their work and also the work of their associates and those who they're working with, uh, and I pray that you do bring, uh, bring other missionaries alongside them to, to serve in, in those regions, and Lord, just that you continue to bless that work. I pray for our time of fellowship today. I pray for our, our potluck and that, just that we can enjoy each other's company and presence. Lord, I pray for the message this morning that it be faithful to your word and pointing people to your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Shalsa Mitchell would like to thank uh, Aldine. We stayed with her last night and sincerely appreciate your hospitality. Uh, also should address, I feel by far the most frequent question Carrie and I get is about the, uh, the house. So that's still in the process. Lord willing, hopefully that'll come together this week. Uh, our close date is on or before September 30th, so hopefully everything will just keep progressing. We haven't moved up here yet, so if you see any cars around, there's probably the, uh, the family moving some stuff out of the house. But definitely appreciate your prayers as we, we are trying to get in there as quickly as we can. Uh, I've never gone through the mortgage process before. I describe it as, it's like a 24-7 dentist appointment, <laughs> but, but we are getting there. Like I said, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. That's the overarching series that we're in right now, preaching through the book of John and John's Gospel. As is every book in the Bible, is divided into sections. The first four weeks we've spent in the opening section of John. And that's one of the richest sections in the New Testament about who Jesus is. I once heard the pastor John Piper talk about a doctoral class that he took on the Gospel of John. 
an 18-week class. They spent the first 13 weeks just on that opening section. The British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones preached through John, through, through part of John. And in the opening section, he spent 75 weeks. All that to say, we're just flying through this book. <laughs> Again, there's so much there. You can never exhaust the depths of God's word. There is always more to learn, more to discover, more to meditate on and pray through. Again, we, we really only scratched the surface in those four weeks, but we are moving on. And we're moving on to the next section of John, and it's preparing us for Jesus' ministry. And today we learn about a man named John the Baptist. And we're also sort of starting a new series within the series. The rest of chapter 1 and the beginning section of chapter 2, it looks at a week in the ministry of Jesus. In this overall section, John makes several references to time. In John chapter 1, verses 29, 35, and 43, John uses the phrase, the next day. John 2 continues moving the week forward and opens with, on the third day. So it's covering a week in Jesus' ministry. So the plan is for this week and for the next couple of weeks to look at the texts that are preparation and the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. So our section today, John 1, verses 19 to 34. I invite you to read along with me now. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even who, he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. As
as we begin this morning, I thought it might be helpful to do a brief summary of some of the biblical texts which mention John the Baptist, to give a little bit of a, a biography of John the Baptist. First thing to know about John the Baptist, he is not the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. They're two different men. He's often called John the Baptist. That's referring to what he did, not referring to a denominational affiliation. It's not that we have John the Baptist and Peter the Presbyterian and Paul the Methodist. No, he baptized people. Next thing about John, he's mentioned in all four Gospels. And in all the Gospels, he's introduced prior to the ministry of Jesus. So he's pretty important. Within the four Gospels, they give accounts of his birth in Luke and his death in Matthew. I can think of no other New Testament figure aside from Jesus where that could be said. We find out in the Gospel of Luke that John's mom, a woman named Elizabeth, is a relative of Mary, which means that John is related to Jesus. And he's actually just a few months older than Jesus. After John the Baptist is born, his father gives a prophecy about his son's life in Luke chapter 1. I won't read the whole thing, but within that prophecy, it says in Luke 1, 76 and 77, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare, prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Luke chapter 1 ends with an interesting note about John in verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So it says that John went into the wilderness. There's really not a whole lot of elaboration on that. We know nothing about his formative years. He was in the wilderness. Some scholars suggest the possibility that John may have actually been raised in some sort of community within the wilderness. We don't know one way or the other, but historically that would make some sense. But again, we, we don't know. John is related to Jesus, as I mentioned, but the Gospels tell us nothing about how well they knew each other. It doesn't seem like they grew up going to family dinners every week with each other, though. When John's ministry began, he quickly grew in popularity. Matthew 3, verses 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, referring to John, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So very popular, very quickly, in a lot of ways, like what Jesus would experience during his ministry. Continuing to show John's popularity, several years after his death, the Apostle Paul is ministering in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus is several hundred miles away from Judea. But people talk about the baptism that John had practiced, showing that his name and reputation had extended far beyond his region. John also faced persecution during his life. He was imprisoned, and he was later executed under the Romans in Matthew chapter 14. So it's a little bit about John. By the time we get to our passage this morning... John the Baptist has already been mentioned twice in the first section of John. Verses, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, 
but came to bear witness about the light. First thing that the Apostle John tells us about John the Baptist, he was sent from God. His ministry was not arbitrary. It was not on a whim. It was not something that he just chose to do. He was chosen by God. Second thing we find out about John is his purpose. Verse 7 says that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John came into the world to point people to the light of the world. We also saw John mentioned in our passage from last week, John 1.15, although we'll address that a little bit later on. But something to keep in mind about the opening 18-verse section of John, where we spent the last four weeks, you have this really rich, deep theological section about Jesus. John the Baptist is mentioned twice. He's important. So hopefully that'll all help us give a little bit fuller of a sense of, of who this man was. What we're going to do with the rest of our time this morning is look at our section in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at three things about John the Baptist. Who he wasn't, who he was, and who he points to. First point, who John wasn't. As I already mentioned, John was growing in popularity throughout the area. And so a group of religious leaders was sent to John to investigate John. Chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? It's reasonable that they would want to find out who he is. I think it's important to understand the time in which they lived. When Jesus came into the world, there had been a period of about 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 400 years of waiting. 400 years of waiting for a revelation from God. 400 years of waiting for the promised one. And people had all sorts of expectations for what this ministry would look like. Now, it would be fulfilled in Jesus, but the people didn't yet know about Jesus when John came onto the scene. So John is this man who has this popular ministry, and the people, they have all these expectations and hopes about what this leader will be like. Now, what Jesus actually did wasn't really what anybody expected at the time. A lot of people expected a great religious teacher. Jesus certainly is that, but his purpose was bringing freedom and not the law. A lot of people expected a great king. Jesus is that too. He's the king of kings. But he did not have an earthly kingdom that people expected. Others expected a great general who would lead Israel back to, back to victory and back to a, a restoration of the promised land. Jesus is the one who leads people to, to battle evil and leads to spiritual victories. People believed all these various ideas from various categories. And again, you suddenly have this man who's calling people to repent. Who's baptizing? In the other Gospels, we see John the Baptist calling out religious authorities. And so, people are curious. Maybe he's connected to the promised Savior. Maybe he is the promised Savior. Others might have been skeptical and thought it would lead nowhere. 
Before Jesus, there had been people who claimed to be the Savior of the world. And after Jesus, there have been others who have made that claim. So they come to John the Baptist and they say, who are you? John's first response to the Jewish leaders is given in verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. First thing John confirms, he's not the Savior. One thing that's important to understand, the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. His parents were not Joseph and Mary Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christ comes from the Greek word Christus, which means anointed. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed. They both mean the same thing. The significance of that is that in the Old Testament, various divinely assigned offices, such as the king and the high priest, they would be anointed with oil at the beginning of their reign. Some of the Old Testament prophets were also anointed. And there are also passages in the Old Testament which were understood as pointing forward to a future deliverer who was anointed. John the Baptist had an important ministry, but he was not the Lord's anointed. He was not the Lord's Christ. And so he's quick to point that out. He's not the Savior. Verse 21, and they asked, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. That might seem like a random follow-up question. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. Much of his ministry really was, in a lot of ways, similar to John the Baptist's ministry. It revolved around calling people to faith and proper worship of the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord in his life and ministry. There are miracles that God does during the time of Elijah. Two more things that are noteworthy about Elijah. First thing, the Old Testament tells us that God brought Elijah directly to heaven without dying. 2 Kings 2.11 and as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two, the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So it says Elijah never died. Secondly, the book of Malachi, which in our Old Testament is the last book in the Old Testament, concludes with these verses. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold... I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So God says that he will send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So some expected a literal return of Elijah. And for those reasons, it's a pretty reasonable question that the leaders would ask this of John. But he tells them no. John is not Elijah. However, it should be noted that the ministry that he has fulfills Elijah's ministry. The point isn't so much that Elijah literally returned, but you have someone who returns and fulfills what Elijah was doing. Uh, he's not the second coming of Elijah. He's not some reincarnated version of Elijah. Um, 
but that he is like him in his ministry. He is the prophet who comes before the Lord. So they try again. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. When they ask John if he's the prophet, they're actually referring to a specific passage. Deuteronomy 18.15 tells Israel about a successor to Moses. And that passage also came to be understood as both referring to Moses' future successors who would lead Israel, but also to a later, greater successor. That verse says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So they wonder if John could be this person. In reality, that passage is referring to Jesus. But once again, John answers the question in the negative. He is not the prophet. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John isn't the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. So then who is he? Second point, who John is. While John isn't answering affirmatively to any of these questions, that doesn't mean he's insignificant. Verse 23 He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John is quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 3. They've seen who John isn't. This is who he is. That text from Isaiah is applied to John in all four of the Gospels. Isaiah 40 is a passage that talks about a future time of deliverance for the people of God. It's an incredibly hopeful passage. It talks of God's faithfulness to his people in spite of their sin. It talks of the restoration that God is bringing. It talks of the deliverance that God is bringing. And the heart of what this is getting at, the heart of what John is getting at, is that his purpose is to call people to repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah. They ask John about his baptism. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Baptism was instituted for the followers of Jesus in the New Testament. But baptism was not a foreign idea. In the first century and before that, when non-Jews would convert to Judaism, they would sometimes do this cleansing ritual that was very similar to baptism, which was meant to be a symbolic washing away of the impurities of their sin. Now, this was only done for non-Jewish people entering into the Jewish faith. And again, it was usually something that they themselves did, but here we have John baptizing other people and even baptizing other Jewish people. So that raised raised some eyebrows. And so the leaders question John's authority. And he responds to them by turning that right back around, pointing to his purpose in the world. Who are you to be baptizing? Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now where John says he's not worthy to untie the the strap of Jesus' sandal, the point that he's making is that he would need a promotion just to be worthy of doing that. He's so far beneath Jesus 
that, that, that's something that he, he doesn't even deserve to do. John has the authority to baptize because it's been given to him by God. However, that baptism is meant to point to something greater. And that brings us to a third point, who he points to. John came to point to Christ. He came to be a witness to Christ. Verse 29 moves the story forward. The next day, so that's day two. I mentioned at the beginning of the passage that John is taking us throughout the week. So we're introduced to John the Baptist, day one. The next day, day two. No indication that John is still surrounded by these religious leaders. It's the next day. But it's on this day that John will begin to see Jesus for who he is. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I will note that it's very possible that when John uttered those words, he didn't even truly realize the full magnitude of what he was saying. But... It's impossible for a Christian to miss the meaning of those words. Behold, John commands, look to Jesus. Look upon the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. A profound theological statement about what Jesus did. Jesus is the perfect and spotless Lamb who was sacrificed for sins. It's a theme that we see throughout John's Gospel. Many Old Testament sacrifice passages call for the sacrifice of lambs. Isaiah 53 has a passage of a, of a suffering servant that talks about a perfect and spotless lamb being led to slaughter. There's the Passover sacrifice where the Israelites sacrificed lambs before the Exodus and where that became an annual, an annual holiday. And he sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, the ultimate and greater sacrifice. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Now, when it says that Jesus takes away the sins of the world, it's not just that sin is written off or that it no longer matters. Really, it's just the opposite. Sin matters a great deal. But it is Jesus who takes away sin, takes away the penalty for sins. He takes away the sins of the world. That's not to say that he takes away the sin of every individual person, regardless of what they believe. John talks about the world in several passages in, in his gospel and in his other writings in the Bible. But most famously, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, will, believes in him, that's an essential component, will not perish but have eternal life. And here John is saying that the lamb takes away the sin of the world. It is Jesus who bears the penalty for a fallen humanity, for everyone who believes in him. And John points to Jesus. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. That's similar to what John said in verse 15. There, John said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And what John is doing is looking back at his earlier prophecy as pointing forward to someone greater than him. And he sees Jesus as the one who is greater than him and says, he is that man. John gets at his specific purpose. 
John the Baptist had a ministry to do for a, a certain time in history. He wasn't perfect. He was just a man. He lived a shorter life than Jesus. Much of his time was spent in seclusion. But he was faithful. None of us has the ministry that John the Baptist had. Again, he had a once-in-history ministry. He was the forerunner to Jesus. But just because someone has a different ministry or a different way to serve, that doesn't mean that the ways you serve the Lord are insignificant. No one would know who John the Baptist was without Jesus. Jesus is the thing that gives relevance and meaning to his life. But for anyone who's a follower of Jesus, that's the case. It is Jesus who gives meaning. John's ministry points people to Jesus. But that's a ministry that everyone who is a follower of Christ is called to share in. Pointing people to Jesus in word and deed. Following where the Lord leads. Walking in faith. Standing up for the truth of God. Proclaiming the word. That is a calling which all Christians share. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks of John the Baptist and says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. That's quite the statement to make. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. No one before John was greater than John. Yet, for those who come after, the one who's the least in the kingdom of God is greater. The reason isn't because we have any greatness in ourselves, but it's because we have a fuller picture of who Jesus is and a fuller picture of God's revelation to the world. John did have a once-in-history ministry to fulfill, but he didn't live long enough to see the fruition of Jesus' ministry. In his life, he never heard about the resurrection or saw the risen Christ. Yet he was faithful. What are you doing to serve the Lord today? Sometimes it can be tempting to, to think that we don't have what it takes to serve the Lord. But the good news is that it's not about your own power or your own abilities. John the Baptist was an effective minister without a lot of resources. You don't have to have a ton of money to serve God faithfully. John certainly didn't have that. He was from the wilderness. Other Gospels tell us that he wore a, a garment made out of camel's hair. Well, it looked like a homeless person. You don't have to have all sorts of degrees and credentials. John the Baptist didn't have that. He came from the wilderness. You might think you're too old. John's ministry was shorter than Jesus's. It was incredibly short-lived. You don't have to have a decades-long ministry to have a ministry that matters. You just have to follow the Lord, to love the Lord, and to serve the Lord. What are you doing to serve the Lord? What are you living for? Verse 31, John says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water 
that he might be revealed to Israel. When John says that he did not know Jesus, don't get too caught up in that. The point isn't necessarily that he had literally never met Jesus, but that he didn't know Jesus for who he really was before this moment. John was called to baptize so that the Savior of the world could be revealed. Again, that's not primarily about John. It's about the Lord and his divine plan. John didn't choose to be the forerunner to Jesus. God chose John for this ministry. John's call to repentance. John is the voice of the one in the wilderness. John is a witness to Jesus. All of it was part of the divine plan for John's ministry and purpose in the world as the forerunner to Christ. It's not that John was causing the Lord to be revealed to the world, but that his ministry was used by the Lord to reveal Jesus in the world. Verse 32, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This referring to when Jesus is baptized. The other three Gospels all record that John baptized Jesus. That specific event is not mentioned in this Gospel. As the Gospel of John was written after the other Gospels, perhaps he just assumed people would know that fact. All four Gospels agree that John was a witness to the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is another significant theme in this Gospel. Jesus promises to give the Holy Spirit to his followers in chapters 14, 15, and 16, among other places. In the Old Testament, there are passages that talked about the Spirit And God's anointed one. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So there Jesus is the servant of the Lord. And it talks about Jesus having the the spirit of the Lord. And there are other passages that say that in effect in the Old Testament. But just to get a sense of it. So that was part of the promise of the Savior that he would have the Spirit. And John witnesses that moment. We see Jesus, fully God and fully man, having the Spirit descend upon him. I used to think, why would Jesus need the Holy Spirit if he's God? But I think I was asking the wrong question. Because I think the better question is, why wouldn't Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Jesus talks throughout John's gospel about his relationship with God the Father. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And we could go on and on. Those are just a few verses just from John. 
Jesus speaks of his relationship to God. God is heavily involved in the ministry of Jesus, and it therefore makes sense that the Holy Spirit would be heavily involved in the ministry of Jesus. All three persons of the Trinity are God, and all of them working together in perfect unity. They are all equal in eternity, holiness, glory, and power. Again, Jesus is both fully God and fully man, but it is because he is fully man that he needs the Spirit. But as one who is fully God, just as he enjoyed fellowship with God during his ministry, because he is God, it makes sense that Jesus would likewise enjoy fellowship with the Spirit during his ministry. And so the Spirit descends on him, and John is a witness to this moment. It's the image of a dove or a dove coming down upon Jesus. John says that he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who filled Jesus during his ministry is given to all people because of Jesus' ministry. Among other things, the Spirit equips us with gifts, convicts us of sin, sanctifies us to God. Romans 8, 16 says that the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness to those who believe. As Jesus said, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Because we're blessed with more of the story. We have the risen lamb. And the spirit in which he baptizes all who believe and trust in him. Believe in the lamb. Turn away from sin. Point others to him. Serve the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for your incredible blessings that you give to us. Lord, the eternal spiritual blessings that you give to us, eternal life that you promise through the gospel, the blessing of your spirit to lead us through life, the security that we have, because, Lord, it's not about our own actions or effort, but it is what Christ has done. Lord, I thank you for the freedom from sin. And I pray that we can continually be sanctified and encouraged by your word. Lord, may we go out as John the Baptist and and serve you in the world. May we fulfill our purposes by serving you and loving you and pointing others to you. Lord, again, I I thank you for our missionaries who are with us today. Lord, I, I thank you for the ministry that they're doing in Brazil of letting your light shine and being faithful to that. But may we all do that, Lord in our families, in the community, in our work. May we be faithful ministers to you, Lord. I pray for the the meal that we're going to enjoy here in just a moment. And again, Lord, I I thank you for for this food, and I pray that you bless our time and fellowship, that we can enjoy one another's company and continue to grow in unity and love. In Jesus' name, amen.